So in Romans 15, verse 4, it says this. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. Okay, so that's going back to all the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and all those Psalms and Proverbs, okay? Again, whatsoever things were written aforetime were for our learning as the church. We are the church, the heavenly people. But we're going to learn things about our heavenly position based upon what they were like as they walked the earth as God's earthly people. And that's the difference between Israel and us, the church, that are Christ. The difference is they're heavenly. We are heavenly, but we are a church people, which is a major difference in the scriptures. So we see again, for whatsoever things were written aforetime are for our learning that we, the church, through patience, notice that, we learn, how do we learn? Through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And hope there again is the settled assurance, the hope that we have in Colossians chapter 1 and verses, uh, verse 27. The hope that we have, the guarantee that we have in Christ. Here's 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, says this in verse 4. And did all drink the same spiritual drink? This is referring to Israel while they were in the wilderness, having been brought out of Egypt. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ, and that's the type. And you can see the type of that rock in Exodus 33, verses 19 to 21. That's the rock that it says there, and that rock was Christ. Here's verse 5. But with many of them, many of them as his people, those that he took out of Egypt, the world system, under the power of Pharaoh, he took them out. But with many of those that he took out, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Worlds, again, passing through the world system on their way to their promised land, for them which was Canaan, ours as our heavenly Canaan, or all the promises in 2 Corinthians 1.20 are yea and amen. Again, we want to, soon we want to speak on uh, believers, how that, that our yea must be yea and our nay must be nay. That'll do away with any gray areas in our life. Now these things, in, in, uh, again, in 1 Corinthians 10.6, these things were written for our examples. Really, the, the, the uh, Greek word is types, they're types. To the intent, notice what it says, to the intent that we, as Christ, should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Then it says in verse 7, neither be you idolaters. He's talking to Christians. Neither be idolaters. As some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down and look what they did. And tell me this isn't the age that we're living in, in Revelations 3, 14 to 21. Listen to what it says. Neither be you idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down. What does that mean? They didn't go forward. They sat down. They were not going forward. They sat down to eat. That was their focus. To drink. That was their focus. And rose up to play. That was their focus. Verse 8, neither let us commit fornication. 
Is it possible for those that are in Christ, that are Christ, to commit fornication? As some of them committed and fell in one day, 23,000. Neither let us tempt Christ. Could we do that as believers? It's saying it right here. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur you, as some of them also murmured. Notice that? Don't murmur. Okay. Does murmuring have anything to do with obedience, submission to the will, uh, to the will given over to Christ? Neither be a murmurer, okay? And uh, as some of them were, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Who is the destroyer? For the enemy. And John 10, 10a comes to what? To seek to kill, seek to steal, kill, and destroy. Right? Now, Verse 11, it says, Now all these things happen unto them for examples, for types, for who? For us. For us. And they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the age are come. A lot of translations you'll see world. We know in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 4 and Isaiah 45 verse 17 and Ephesians 3 21, this earth will never, ever go away. It'll be transformed and changed but it never will. So we need to understand the scriptures where it says here it's really this age, this particular time period on the earth. See? These, they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of this age are come. I mean, if they were come when he was writing that, for us as the church, where are we right now in prophecy? Where are we? And do we even understand prophecy? And if I function in Christ and I'm taught prophecy, and, and thank God we have a much greater, greater uh, thing in Christ, if we can call it thing, a place, substance, because we have him who is that, who has dawned in our hearts. We see that in 2 Peter 1, uh, verse 19 to 21. Um, we have a more sure word of prophecy, it says. More sure word of prophecy. But do we understand it and do we know it and have we been taught it? And so do we know where we are as his church, his bride, his body? So here it is, verse 12 finally in 2 Corinthians 10. Wherefore, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Notice that? That's a temptation. The enemy can tempt us to think that we stand because we can declare certain things from the scriptures. But do we actually experience them? And is there a true experience outside submission of my will and absolute continual humility and dependence, which would result by grace and truth in obedience? So we can see those things crystal clear in the scriptures. And I'm going to turn now to so we understand the types, right? So when we read the Old Covenant, we know we can glean from these things, right? Glean from the truth that's there. So here we are in um, Isaiah, the 40th chapter. Isaiah 40, verse 1, where it says, Comfort you, comfort you, my people. Okay, comfort. And what is God speaking to us as his church? He speaks to us what? Comfort. Even when he deals with us in loving chastisement or warnings or admonition, what is it always based on? The comfort of his love. 
So he's saying here, comfort you, comfort you, my people, says your God. Speak comfortably. And what says comfortably there, it says speak to their heart. Really, speak to their mind. Speak truth into their mind. Put sense. Put sense into their heads. That's what he's saying. Put sense into their head. Right? But what does God, what must he do first? He must take out what is not sense, which would be what? It would be nonsense. Right? And to think outside of Christ in any way, what is it? It's nonsense. Okay? It has absolutely no value whatsoever. So he says, speak to their heart, their mind, so that they'll have good emotions, and to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare, her set time, is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she have received, she's received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. In other words, being chosen and giving all this, they would be chastised double. Double. But it was to prepare them for See where it says it twice, comfort them, comfort them. And that's what God would do for us. Here's verse 3. It says, The voice of him that cries in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. If we look at this, we understand, of course, in type, this is what John the Baptist fulfilled. When he said in John 1, verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God. He was the voice crying in the wilderness. He that was born of Elizabeth, who was approximately six months ahead of Christ in, in his birth. You see that in the first chapter of Luke in those 30s. So he's saying that. What is the voice of God saying to us as Christians then? What is he speaking to us? Do we hear the voice of him that cries to us? The voice of him that speaks to us and tells us who we are as we are going through this wilderness. Are we sitting down in some area? Are we, are we more occupied with eating and drinking and playing? <laughs> God forbid, right? No time for that. There's no time for that for us as God's, as God's church. He said this, the voice in the wilderness. Remember the wilderness? Christ took us out, didn't he? From under the prince and power of the air, Ephesians 2, 2. We were held captive by him, weren't we? At some point in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 26, we were. In this world system, and being held captive by him, we function just like the world. But then we receive Christ. Did he take us instantly out of the world? He did, because Galatians 6 verse 14 makes it clear. God forbid that I should glory. God forbids it that we should glory in a single thing about the flesh. God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of Jesus Christ of whom the world is crucified unto me. Did you ever hear that before? Huh? When Christ died on the cross and it's in the Bible, it's not new with me. <laughs> and I'm sure it's being faithfully taught in areas because I know God is so faithful and uh, just like he's been to us. But did you know the world? He crucified the whole world to those that are Christ. He crucified it. There's no life in it. And he crucified me unto the world. That's why you'll never find any comfort or anything in this world. There's nothing in this world to make a, an emphasis of eating and drinking and sitting down and playing. <laughs> Staying and not going forward. Not going forward to a face-to-face -face meeting with Christ in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12. 
So he says, prepare you, prepare you the way of the Lord. Prepare. So really for the believer, what he's saying is prepare the way. How do we prepare ourselves? You know, that's why we say it is the most necessary thing for us to do long before we come here that we're prepared to receive. We're not occupied with all kinds of other things. Because when we come to hear the word of God, if we are preoccupied with those things even before we come, do we even have enough time of meditation and concentration on him even before we come to hear the word of God preached? We will be so easily distracted, very easily distracted. That's why the Bible teaches us preparation and discipline and uh, to be able to hear so that we don't fall uh, for wrong voices the voices that are in the atmosphere, because there's so many of them in 1 Corinthians 14, 7 through 11, none of them are without significance. They, they're meant to do something. So the voice of him that cries in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert. Are we in this world system? You know what it is for the believer truly? What is it? It's a desert but we have the life of Christ in us. That's our life. There's no life in the desert. None. But we do have the life of Christ in us, don't we? And we're, we're on our way through here. We're on our way through to a face-to-face -face meeting with him. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. You know, in, in this sense, in Colossians 3, verse 16, what it says to the believer is, let, isn't that an interesting word, let? Does that have anything to do with our will? Is that speaking that God will violate our free will or is asking us to surrender our free will to him, our will, so that we can experience the freedom that we have in Christ so that we don't function apart from him and glory in anything other than him. Colossians 3, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You know, that's what it's saying riches are. It's not what but making money so that we can eat and drink and play and have a good place in the world. It's got nothing to do with that for the believer. Remember, he crucified the whole world system. Nothing in it. Nothing in it. He's preparing us for a face-to-face -face meeting with Christ. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now listen to what it says in verse 4. Every valley will be exalted, every mountain and hill will be made low, and the crooked will be made straight or plain, and the rough places plain, plain or straightened out. Yeah? There's, there's, there's areas where we function in crooked behavior. We all do. And what is God doing? By straightening them out, he's preparing a way for himself with us. You can't do any greater than him. Verse 5, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Now when it's talk, talking here in Isaiah the 40th chapter, just like in the 11th chapter of Isaiah, this is speaking of the millennial reign for, for God's earthly people. The scriptures are loaded with that, understanding the difference between the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, which is millennial reign on the earth, but we can glean all kinds of truths from here because once we have the foundation that Christ is in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 10 and 11, once we have that foundation, now we can use these scriptures led by the Holy Spirit to build a proper dwelling place for Christ to dwell in us 
and for us to dwell in him. And that word dwell means that Christ has found a comfortable place to rest in us. Yeah, we love to rest in him, don't we? And that is our place of rest. But does he have a place of rest in us? And will he, apart from our wills being submitted? Will he be glorified if I'm busy glorifying something else? Even for a moment. Because life is made up of moments that reveal who we actually trust and who truly is our treasure. So this is talking millennial, but we can glean from it. The voice said, cry. And he said, what will I cry? What's the cry? John coming into the, into the world and preparing the way for Christ to come. What was the voice to cry? And what is the cry? Is it any different today? You know, that voice again is again is brought out in 1 Corinthians 14, 7 through 11. What does the voice cry? Here's what it cries. All flesh is grass. <laughs> All the flesh that's in you and I, it's in us in Romans 8, 9, that we're not of it. But all flesh in us is as grass. Is as grass. And all the goodness thereof is as the flower of the field. Mm. All that we can glory in, like it's this beautiful flower, like somehow I'm going to do something for God, apart from Christ, like I could, and present it to him, is like the flower soon will fade will fade away. All the goodness. Why? You remember what Jesus said to the rich young ruler in, in Matthew 19, verse 17, and Luke 18, verse 19? Why do you call me good? There's none good. No, none good but God. Notice that? There's none good. There's nothing good about us apart from Christ. There's no good in the flesh. Why do we consistently go back to it? We're learning, aren't we, all of us? We're learning, but there's never an excuse for the flesh. You know why? Because he crucified it. Don't mean we can't function in it, but he crucified it. Especially again, and we'll get into this on Wednesday for men, especially for men. Women also, of course, but especially for men. It is time to stop being little boys and grow up. I mean, in every single area. Because has he given us the life of Christ already to function in? So then it does it become a question of just surrendering my will and allowing the life that Christ is me, is in me, to manifest itself in me in intimacy, and then for that to shine out to others. Well, verse 7, the, the, the grass withers, the flower fades. Why? Because the Spirit of the Lord blows upon it. Oh, boy. And it withers. That's a, that is a great truth for us. That's a beautiful truth for us. Because the Spirit's going to blow, and any area of our flesh, He's going to blow in it, it's going to wither, and we can thank God for that. He's going to show us. There's no life in it. Watch it die instantly. Watch it. The, the sin... The, the sins that we go to. Watch watch how it works, death in us. As soon as we partake of it, you're already taken in death and you're already in your way, on your way to nothing but death. That's why it says, oh God, for Christians today, 
for the Laodicean age that we're in in Revelations 3, 14 to 21. In 1 Timothy 5, verse 6, she that lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. Yeah, notice that? Pleasure. <laughs> I don't know, was there a pleasure gospel out there? Mm-hmm. What God can do for you while you're on the earth to make it better for you? Is that scriptural? No. The grass withers, the flower fades because the spirit of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people is grass. They're grass. Okay, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. What are we taking off this earth? Who is the word of God? We take, all we're taking out here is what we have in Christ, period. That's it. What are we going after? What motivates us to leave Christ and go after other things and not involve him in his direction through the power of the Holy Spirit in every single thing we do, no matter what it is? What makes us think, any of us think, that we can function apart from him who is our freedom, who is our peace? Oh, Lord, Lord, and I do say, help us, Father. And he will, and he'll help us. But first, he must humble us. And then we can function in the grace that has delivered us. And we can see that. And then, again, it says, O Zion, that, that brings forth good tidings, get you up on the high mountain. It speaks of God's government. This, again, it's talking millennial reign. It's not going to happen until that thousand-year reign of Christ. It's not, it's not going to happen. It doesn't happen at all. You see that? It doesn't happen until then, that thousand-year millennial reign. Again, that's Jeremiah 31, uh, 31 to 34, Isaiah the 11th chapter, and you can go from Ezekiel chapters 38 all the way to 42. That speaks of millennial reign, and that's what it's teaching. It's teaching us those things. Clearly, clearly. Oh, Zion. So, and then and come to the mountain. That mountain always speaks of where he rules and reigns. And that's why when Christ comes back in Zechariah 14, 4, his feet are on the mountain. That means he's above ruling as God's government over his earthly people. But does he rule over us as his church people, his heavenly people now? Or, or do we rule over ourselves See, so, O Jerusalem, that brings good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Is there, any, is there any fear when we submit to him? Is there any fear when we're obedient? No. Say unto the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand. You can be sure of that. Now, he's talking about that from millennial reign. You'll see that in Revelations, the 19th chapter, where we come back with him in Revelations 19, 11 to 16. We come back with him, and he deals with Israel's enemies. And we can get in at another time about prophecy. We can deal with that. And then he sets up his millennial reign kingdom in Revelations 20, verses 3 and 4. You can see that very clearly being taught in the scriptures. But the fact of the matter for us is this. What should we behold as Christians now? Different from his earthly people, but we're gleaning from the scriptures from our foundation, Christ. What should we see? That the, behold, the Lord will come. You waiting for God? 
on something? Do we wait properly? Do we trust properly outside of obedience? Do we? Well, you can behold one thing, one thing, the Lord will come, and he'll come with a strong hand, and his arm will rule for you. Can any rule themselves? Can any rule themselves? No. None can rule themselves. A child can't rule themselves if they're an unruly child, but it's the parent res parent's responsibility until they reach the age of accountability where they can function and if they're taught the headship of Christ, how they can function as a believer in Christ. But until then, the parents in their, in their love rules over them. Does he need to rule over us? How often? How often does he? Right? And will rule, and will rule for him. So Christ is coming, and for God the Father and his government, he will rule for his father over the nations. Because they can't do it themselves any more than you and I can. And be, truthfully, our life will reflect and manifest who's ruling over us. It's either going to be self or Christ. It's going to be ruling over us. Okay? He will, in verse 11, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the, the, the lambs under his arm and carry them in his bosom. Those are the young. They need to be carried. And at one point, at whatever point, do we not need to be carried? Right? But can I refuse to be carried? Can I? I can. Can I reject the shepherd? And will gently lead those that are with young. With a, with a small capacity, with a, with a new capacity, and again, that's why we taught those that are newly come to the faith, okay, and doesn't mean just the, the moment you were saved in 1 Timothy 3, 6. It just means you're very young and understanding all these truths. Okay, they haven't been tested yet. <laughs> they haven't been tested in terms of a true experience. So he carries those that are with young. Then verse 12, who's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out the heavens with span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure? <laughs> you think about the earth as a little dust thing, but who can, who can weigh it? Who can weigh it? The dust. Of course, where were our physical bodies formed from in Genesis 2-7? Where were the physical bodies returned in 3-19? It's the dust. What makes us think? that our frame is enough to do things apart from Christ. Because he knows our frame. In Psalm 103, verse 14, he knows that we are dust. And that's the only way we'll function. Dust, listen, dust will be the issue. Our physical bodies eat, drink, play. Use God for all of those things. <laughs> Use him. Imagine using him to settle down on this earth, this world system that rejected him and murdered him. Unfortunate for many, for many of us, when we function that way, right? And comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? <laughs> What's our prayers like? Is it any wonder when we need, we need to get in his presence and let him communicate to us so we communicate back 
And that's what prayer is, by the way. It's a communication. But first must he speak to us. To have it even be proper. You see what it says here? Right? Again, who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? You know how much teaching is out there like that? If I do enough of this, then with me doing this thing, if I do all this stuff just right, I'll direct him. Wow. Very false, by the way. False teaching. Who's directed the Spirit of the Lord and being his counselor has taught him. I don't know, would our doubt, our mistrust, our unbelief be a counsel returned to him? A lack of obedience, a lack of discipline, a lack of preparation? We said it. We said it before. The, the most important thing about us was, was to receive Christ as our Savior. Second most important thing is receiving the truths, all those truths that we are in Christ. And that's why we said, again, we need to, before we come here, we need to be prepared. We need to be disciplined and prepared so that when we're here, we can receive. Again, verse 14, with whom took he counsel and who instructed him? <laughs> Imagine. And taught him the path of judgment. And, and taught him knowledge and showed to him the way of understanding. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket. Now, I, listen, when we understand prophecy, the nations and where we are, we see truly they're a drop in the bucket. He's in control. I'm praying that a certain president gets back in and another doesn't. But it doesn't matter. He's in control. He is in control because the nations again, are a drop in the bucket and are counted as a small dust of the balance. Behold, he takes up the aisles as a very little thing and so forth. All, verse 17, all nations before him are as nothing and they are counted to him less than nothing and vanity. Think about that. They're less than nothing. What is nothing? A zero. He's saying they're less than that. And that's the word that's used in the Greek in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. If I, have, if I don't have love, I am nothing. What it's saying there is you are less than nothing. What would we go after? What would occupy our mind? What would direct us? I don't care what it is. In every single area, what would it be? Who would it be? Well, to whom then will you liken God? Remember, we brought these scriptures up before. In, in uh, Psalm 10, verse 4, it says, God is not in all their thoughts. Think about that. God is not in all their thoughts. And we've said before, some would think that that, what does that mean? Does that mean that God might be in some? No, that's not saying that in Hebrew. It's saying God is not in any of their thoughts whatsoever. Let me ask you this. Is God in any of our thoughts in the flesh? When I'm occupied with myself, is that God's thought? In other words, Christ, the thought of God, the word of God, the full thought of God, would join himself to my flesh. Why? Remember what we said, too. Our conduct reveals who we truly are in our experience, not what we say, not what we can declare, right? Oh, boy. Okay. And what likeness will you compare unto him? In other words, what's the thing that you'll go after? And what does it compare to him? What does it compare? See? 
Look at what it says in verse 19. The workman melts a graven what? Image. You know the things that we, we, we truly go after apart from Christ? You know, and they, I don't care what they are. They could be gold. They could be this, this awesome, beautiful watch here and other certain things. Right? And they are an image, but they, we want them to be some reflection of us to build us up. See it? Oh, boy. Okay, the workman melts a graven image and the goldsmith spreads it over with gold and casts silver chains, see? I'm, I'm preparing and the enemy will use even the gold and silver. By the way, in Haggai 2.8, they're all his, they're all God's, but the enemy will use them for the believer to make a big image of themselves. It has nothing to do with Christ. Okay, he, he that is so impoverished, Remember what it said? The church age that we live in. Remember they thought they had a hat, gold, silver, they had everything in Revelation 3, 14 to 21. Everything. They were, the enemy was forming their image and saying what success was based upon the things that they had. And that's the appearance we want to give. Well, who are we giving that to? God? Certainly not. Certainly not. The only way we could be doing that is where we got it from the world or living like the world, just like the world, see? He that is so impoverished that he has no oblation chooses a tree that will rot. I don't know. What do you build houses out of? Most of them anyways. What do you build a lot of things? Trees. Trees that will rot. He seeks unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image. Something formed, something formed that will not be moved. Well, I'm going to tell you what. You talk about all those rich people, okay, before something happened in 1929. It was over for them, they thought, because their image, their everything was the buck and what it could do, see, the world equates, through, through the enemy, the liar, world equates money and power. You can see it. You see it in our country? You know what's behind everything that's going on here? It's a few, but those few billionaires are under the control of the enemy. God. Oh, Lord. Oh, well. Anyway, I'm not going to say that. Verse 21 of Isaiah 40. Have you not known... And then God said to me, circle it, Ed. Have you not known? I mean, you don't, not just declare it, but are you experiencing the reality of who I am? Are you? I circled it. Have you not heard? That means not just hearing, but receiving and submitting to it instantly. Not the feigned fake. In Psalm 18, it says, as soon as they, they hear, they obey. But it was not a real obedience. It was an outward show, but the inward wasn't dealt with. Again, we've said before, how often we care so much about the outward and our appearance because we want to reflect a certain image when the inside is missing in, in function, proper image. So have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it been told you from the beginning? In other words, has God told us th things from the beginning? 
And we knew they were true, didn't we? But when our will wasn't submitted, we didn't do them anyway, did we? Because we forgot God so easy because we were after other things. We were after someone else's approval. We wanted them to prove to us we're okay where we are and use them to do it. Not so nice. Not so nice. But things that were told from the beginning. In other words, God gave us truth. Has he given us a, a measure of truth, all of us together? He's the author, him and him only. Him and him only. Christ is our author in Hebrews 12, 2 and 3. He's our author. He's, he's, he's our beginning and he's our end. But we had these truths. But in James four seventeen, it says, To him that knows to do good and does it not, what is it? Sin, in James 4, 17. And what is sin in Psalm 51 and verse 4? It's evil. We think it's okay. Even in, even in our confessing our sin, we just blow right by it. And don't think it. Sin is evil, by the way. Okay, they're not separate, by the way. They're not. As much as we may have been falsely taught, they're not apart at all. Okay, haven't I told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? Meaning, who created it? Come on. Now look, who discovered in 1492, he sailed the ocean blue. Who discovered that the world was round in 1492? Wasn't that Columbus? Oh yeah, he just didn't read his Bible. And neither did they. Look at verse 22. Is is it he that sits upon the circle of the earth? <laughs> they thought that you'd sail a certain way and off you'd go. The circle, who's sitting on it? Who's resting and in control? Do you think that one thing about our lives in Christ is not under his control? Do we think one thing in history, one thing in our country, one thing in our state, whatever state it may be, one thing in our life is not under his control? Oh, boy. Listen. He that sits upon it, upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof as, as grasshoppers, that stretches out the heavens as a curtain and spreads them out as a tent to dwell in, that brings the princes to nothing, those big rulers. They have power. They have money. They have wealth. Jeez, I don't know where they got the wealth from. Yeah, maybe the one who created the earth where that wealth comes from. Even the paper, the dollar, even the gold and silver that's supposedly behind it. <laughs> anyway, if it ain't made in China, or it ain't the billions that we owe them, I don't know what, you know. <laughs> Four more years, Father. And then your will be done. They're grasshoppers. He brings the princess to nothing. The less than nothing. He makes the judges of the earth his vanity. <laughs> yea, they will not be planted. Yea, they will, they will not be sown. Yet their stock, that's their image, by the way. Yeah, that's their image. Let me carve out a beautiful house. And that will reflect to me and everyone else but what my image is. <laughs> See my bank account? Now what do you think of me? Well, I don't know. What do you think of you outside of Christ? 
And if Christ hasn't, isn't attached, and we haven't attached ourselves to him who's attached to us, then what becomes attached to us? That's 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10. The love of money, not money itself, any more than guns by themselves, are the, are the root of all evil. It's the inordinate affection that we attach to them that becomes these idols. And through them, the enemy can't possess us, but can he obsess us? Man, oh man, the things that we make the issue of. <laughs> He'll come three, four, I don't know, maybe five times, hear the word, then what? Oh God, God help us, right? God help us all. Yea, they will be, they won't be planted. Their stock will not take root in the earth. Know why? Because it's going to be burnt up. See it in 2 Peter 3, uh, 11 right through 14. It's going to be burnt up. All of it. It's going to be a new heavens, a new earth. You see it in Psalm, uh, Isaiah 65, 17 and Isaiah 66, verse 22. It's all going to be burnt up. You're not taking it. We're not taking it with us. The only thing we take is the true treasure, Christ in the vessel in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. So we're about to, to maybe, maybe wrap this up. I don't know. God does. <laughs> he does. They'll not take root in the earth. And he, and he will also blow upon them and they will wither. I don't know. When God blows upon us, if it's Christ, does it wither? No, not at all. On other things, you got a job, everything fine. What if God blows upon it and it withers up? Now what are you going to do? You're going to trust in your finances? Hmm? You're going to depend on someone else? Or are you going to look to God? Are you going to look to God, look away from all that would distract unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith in Hebrews 12, 2? Yeah. Well, we're going to wrap it up here soon. Okay. He blows upon them and they wither, and the whirlwind will take them away as stubble. To whom then will you liken me? No, he's asking us. What will you compare me to? What in your life that's outside of me will you use that to liken and compare it to me? You know, an idol, and, and you see that. You see the truth about who we are in Christ to how God sees us in 1 John 5 and verse 20. The th same thing that's true of Christ is true of us in him. Do we function in it? No. If we don't, that's why he said in 1 John 5, 20, well, my little children, keep yourself from idols because an idol is something that in us, that's in us, that's attached itself to us, always competes against Christ. Okay? That's right. That's right, the flesh, the flesh that's in us. Remember that the flesh is as grass, right? It withers like that in areas, right? right? Is there any soundness in it? In Romans 8, 5 through 8. In the flesh, are there strong, settled feelings of hatred against Christ and against God? That's what it says. In, we, the flesh is still in us. <laughs> when we function in it, in Romans 8, 7, can we please God in Romans 8, 8? We can't. It's that that's competing. You can't love Christ, experience that love, and return it back to him and live in the disobedience of the flesh because you're living in, some, in that flesh that hates God. Come on, you, you and I know it. We live in, in known areas of sins, we, sins we refuse to get right. You think you're going to want to come and fellowship? No, you're not going to be interested, okay? 
because the only one that pleased him was Christ. Okay, watch this as we, I think this is the third time. I don't know, sometimes we change the rules. Batter up. To whom then will you liken me or will I be equal? What can equal him? <laughs> Anything about his creation? Saith the Holy One, lift up your eyes on high. Hey, believers, that for us in Christ, that's Colossians 3, 1 to 3. Since you be risen with Christ, why do you look for things on the earth? Why do you do that? Why do you make that your life? Colossians 3, 2, set your mind on things above. Not your affections, your mind. Set your mind, think above. Set your mind on things above. Listen to what it says. Not on things of the earth. <laughs> right? For you, what? It says in the King James, you are dead, right? You know what it says in the Greek? Emphatically, you died. When you receive Christ, you receive the fact that he died for you. You died with him. You're dead. Now your life is hidden with Christ in God. Why is it hidden? Yeah. Most don't know him. Most don't have the same opportunities that we have to hear. They're too busy being deceived in Revelations 12, 9. They're too busy being deceived. Oh, God, are we? Do we choose to be deceived? Lift up your eyes on high and behold who's created these things that brings out the host by number. He calls them all by names, by the greatness of his might. For he... He, for that he is strong in power, not one fails. Did you know that? There's not one shooting star is failing. It's following its pre-designed course. Just like the architect, he's got it all written out and then he created it through Christ. The father wrote it all out and said, son, now here, go create. And not one of them fails. No wonder it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, he who created everything, Christ in Colossians 1, 16 and John 1, 3, his love for us never what? Fails. And when it says fails there, he's going back to the scriptures that we just read. His love is not like a beautiful flower and then eventually fails and falls off. Fades and falls off. This earth's glory if we're looking to him for his return in Titus 2.13, is fading more and more and more. There's no true joy in it whatsoever. None. We are not an earthly people. We're a heavenly people. He calls them all by name, not one fails. Why say you, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord? What is he saying? Well, you don't know what I'm going through. Really? You don't know the pain I'm experiencing. Really? Hmm? Well, who knew those and experienced that much other than God through Christ himself? Hmm? Who knows rejection better than him? Who knows misunderstanding better than him? Who suffered more than him? And by the way, if you suffer and you suffer, suffer righteously, it's the fact that God has chosen you and, and can trust you to reign with him in 2 Timothy 2.12. And that that suffering can't even be compared with a thing. You can't compare it to him. Again, there's nothing that we suffer righteously can ever even be compared to him. Just because we did so and allow him to do so rewards us for all eternity in Romans 8.18. Can't compare anything to him. 
Why do you say, why do you say my, way, my way is hid and my judgment is passed over from my God? Why have you forgotten me? Look at this person, that person. Look at this. Look at what about me? Well, who's the issue? <laughs> Here it is in verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? That the eternal God, if you see everlasting, you can cross it out, he's eternal. The eternal God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, what? Faints not. You're fainting? Then you're looking for a provision other than God. Or you're looking for him to provide for you when you think best. Okay? He declares the end from the beginning in Isaiah 46, verse 10. Known unto God are all his works, which is you, his works in you in Ephesians 2, 10. All his works in Acts 15, verse 18, from the beginning. The beginning of what? (laughs) Since he's always been. Why worry? You know what worry is? Worry betrays trust in him. That's right. Worry betrays trust in him. Okay? The Lord of the earth, he faints not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. Look what he does. He gives power to the faint. And to him that has no might, he increases strength. Who does he give the strength of his grace to? The proud? The Christian who functions in pride? Their own understanding, their own thoughts, their own comparisons? In James 4, 6, known same in 1 Peter 5 and verse 6, right? And to them that have, that have what? No might he increases strength. Even the youths will faint and be weary. The young people, that's right. You faint and are weary. And the young men whew, will utterly fall. The young men. Young men here. Oh boy, that's why we need men in the teaching. That, we, that God so deeply desires to give to all of us. Even the young men will utterly fail, but they that wait, that trust, that, that trust, that wait, and are looking to the Lord, he will renew. Remember that word renew we went over in the Greek? And we can do that at this week too. Renew their strength. That's what he's doing. We come, maybe we fainted in an area, maybe we were weak, we come here the word. What's he doing? He's renewing strength again. He's got to get us out of thinking of the flesh and get us in his presence. And that's why when we come in his presence, my God, before we get here, what are we even talking about? I mean, even when we're here, what are we talking about? Are we prepared to meet him? It's so key. Because then, as we receive him, then I have him for the rest of the week or the times when I'm not here. That's why they're so important to gather together and and, and to gather together before him. Okay? But they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will walk, run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. And there's times in our life, there's times in our life, do you know it and I know it. We got the word and what we, we were like an eagle soaring above. You know, the eagle is the only bird whose eyes can look directly in the sun and not even squint. And the sun speaks of trials. And those that mount up with wings in his presence, when he is their focus, when he's their object, they can look right into the trials and keep going. Keep going forward. Right? They, and there's times that we have that. 
And then there are, there are times when we run, when we're supposed to run and not be weary. Don't ever be weary running from things from the flesh. Don't weary of it. I don't care who you're with. I don't care. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter right now because the time is short. Flesh, evil, run from it. Flee in 2 Timothy 2, verse 22. Listen to this. Youthful lusts. Making a show of the flesh with some form of irritation. Oh, good gravy. Boy, I'm going to save that for the men. Okay, yes. Amen. (laughs) Don't mind me. But mind him, please, and I'll do it with you. They will, they will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Listen, this is not a 50-yard dash. It's a marathon. We need more strength to walk. And what does that mean? And we're going to close it with this for real. This is four strikes and I'm out. What does it mean to walk, to walk, and what? Not what? Not give up and turn coward. You know what that means? Your everyday life. You may think that your job or the place where you're in is some kind of thing that just kind of happened and you may want out. And guess what? God placed you there. That's the place you're going to learn him most. That's the place where you're going to learn most what, who you're functioning in, in, in the flesh, or who you should function in, in the spirit. That's why he has you there. That's right. And you can walk and not faint. The everyday details of life. That's what we need much more, much more grace and strength for. Every day, like, why am I here? Yeah, he's there to show you two things. The areas that you and I function apart from him and the areas that Christ is waiting to come in. In Isaiah 30, verse 18, and give us the strength of his grace in Joel 3.10 and 2 Corinthians 12.9. You and I are right in the proper place where we are. Everyday details of life. Oh my God, this is so monotonous. What is this all about? And we look, we look for the different thrill. We can't wait till we get out of where we are and try and find some kind of a thrill like false philosophy <laughs> being taught by the enemy that somehow I got to escape my circumstance and situation. Yeah. And guess who you're going to take with you when you escape them? The area that still hasn't been dealt with. You know what? He still had to deal with the prodigal. He could have dealt with him still in the house. He could have put the robe, the ring, the mitre on his head. But he had to go to the end of himself, come back in his self-righteous rags and get back into the house again. How many times has God got to bring us back into the house? Right? Boy, oh boy, he loves us. He loves us right where we're at. He doesn't change one single bit. In Jesus' name, he loves us. Amen.